and that people are worried like, oh, would they shut down porn? Would there be nothing? And he, he said, no, there'll always be porn. These people in politics and on uh, higher ups, they want to watch it. They just don't want to watch women be successful at it. Hello, financial feminists. Welcome to the sexiest episode of this show that we've ever done. Hi, everybody. My name is Tori. I am a money expert. I am obviously a podcast host. I am a New York Times bestselling author, and I'm here to fight the patriarchy by making you rich. We talk on this show about how money affects women differently and how we can get more money into more women's hands and also all the feminist issues that exist in the world through the lens of personal finance and money. If you're an oldie buddy goodie, you already knew that. Welcome back to the show. Massive content warning off the top here. If you are listening, I mean, hopefully you didn't click on this episode and think like, oh, this would be great. This is would be great for a good old family listen. But I just want to be so clear. This is not one to put on the workplace Spotify. This is not one to listen to with your children or your grandma. This is just a massive content warning right off the top. We are talking about sex and pornography today. And if either of those things immediately make you uncomfortable, then I would actually really encourage you to listen because we have a really interesting, incredibly important conversation today about all of those things with one of the best people in the business to talk to. Maitland Ward is an award-winning adult film star, actress, model, and cosplay personality. Best known for her role as Rachel McGuire on Boy Meets World, Maitland enjoyed a successful career as a Hollywood actress before making the slow transition into the adult industry. She has been a guest on Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, and more. Her writing has appeared on The Daily Beast and Rated X, How Porn Liberated Me from Hollywood is her first book out wherever you get your books. We sat down with Maitland because there is so much misinformation and stigma around porn. And sometimes for good reason. And even in our research, most of the data about porn comes from evangelical or religious organizations, which obviously have their own point of view. So even like finding accurate statistics from nonpartisan sources was difficult when we were preparing for this episode. Maitland shares about her start in acting on shows like Boy Meets World and The Bold and the Beautiful and how she transitioned into working in adult films by creating her own content first. We discuss how both of our views on the porn industry have evolved and the misconceptions people have about the industry. Maitland also discusses what it's like to create her own content and the empowerment and financial independence it has given her. She is also one of the highest paid actresses in pornography. And again, if just the word porn makes you a little uncomfortable, I totally get it. We also dive into her relationship with a director who is also a woman and how they have really worked together to create what they believe is really empowering content and also focused on getting money into women's hands and controlling the narrative. I will also say too, just to spoil it right off the top, I think there's so many misconceptions about what we think actual, like the actual shooting of pornography looks like or that the people who choose to go into the porn industry are somehow not well. <laughs> and we talk about just how rigorous it is to actually shoot one of these scenes, the amount of consent that has to be confirmed. She talks more about that process, but it kind of shocked me in a good way of just how much goes into making sure that everybody is comfortable with anything they're doing on set. And so we talk more about that as well. 
a reminder again, this is a not safe for work episode, but one that is incredibly important for you to listen to that maybe just gives you a different perspective. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. But first, a word from our sponsors. they say in like uh, in the valley but i have to say for with my the company i work with and stuff we don't we actually usually shoot out of downtown la or west hollywood so oh, interesting <laughs> yeah that's kind of like the older studio kind of thing uh-huh. i mean they still shoot a ton in the valley and stuff but in the old days that's all they shot <laughs> yeah was was there i have friends was, yeah. who live in la Chats and it work. was always yeah yeah that was the joke was that's it's like oh yeah. that's that's it's over there <laughs> We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for oh, being I'm here. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Most people from my generation and maybe a little older will probably recognize you from Boy Meets World, but you were also on a soap before that. I was. What was your journey into acting? What did that look like? What did your career look like? It was it was really a whirlwind into acting when I was very young because I was like 16 when I got on the soap and I had a like three-year contract on the soap and it was on The Bold and the Beautiful, by the way. Uh, and I was in high school and I was this innocent flower and I was kind of, I, I wanted to get into acting. I loved that part of it. I loved, um, because I was such an innocent flower, I guess. And I was so like ashamed to be anything but that. I wanted to be the good girl and live up to that image all the time. I guess acting really had an outlet for me. It was like some, I could play so many different characters and be so many different, you know, types of people that I could explore if I, you know, wanting to be, or just see like different emotions that came from them and different things that I didn't feel comfortable sharing on my own. But I took an acting class with a casting director that was from The Bold and the Beautiful because I had been a huge soap fan growing up. That was like my fantasy outlet. I loved all the soap guys and I was, I just kind of let myself, you know, get lost in days of our lives and things like that. I grew that. up watching all my children with my Same, mom. Yeah, so you understand. My exactly. mom would watch yeah, all my, my children. My mom did too. I went to pre-K in the morning and so I yeah. would literally come home. Like I grew up on the all my children. I did, yes. <laughs> I, it's so funny because my mom too, she watched as the world turns and then I kind of like watched days, but we both did. It was, it was a connecting kind of thing. And I could like have this fantasy. So I, I saw that there were these, I wanted to get into acting, but I didn't really know how, but I saw these uh, acting workshops that were happening with casting directors. And they do that a lot to make extra cash. <laughs> but right. I had the fantasy back then. No, but I uh, was the youngest person in the class by far, 16 years old. And everybody was like, you know, working actors in their twenties and thirties. And the casting director was like, you know, at the, by the end of the workshop and stuff, you, you should audition for this role coming up because it's for a teenage girl. We're getting a teenage storyline. And I think she was surprised at how well I knew soap opera acting and soap opera cues. It's a very specific form that you, you know, you follow and everything. So, and I was very in tune to that. So she asked me to audition for the show and I did. And it was many auditions. It took a long time, actually several months. And I didn't necessarily think I was going to get the part, but then at the very end, I was brought in for this screen test and you know the rest is history i got on and i was going a couple days a week to school my regular high school and then having a tutor on the set the rest of the time and 
it was like, wow, it was like a fairy tale dream come true to be on the soap set. And then it was like, well, it was reality then. Right. Kristen and I both have backgrounds in theater. I majored in theater. I think Kristen oh, did as yes. well. And she's still an actor as well. And so one of the things that we wanted to highlight that I think a lot of people who are not in the industry don't understand is soap operas are incredibly hard work Yes, because oh of gosh. like how quickly you get a script, how quickly you have to learn it yes. and like how fast the shooting process is. So tell me a bit about that. Well, we would shoot like three shows in two days and it's, it, that's insane <laughs> because thinking that's about nuts. like when I, when I went to Boy Meets World and stuff, it was like we shot one a week and it was great. It was, I wouldn't say the easiest cause you have to perform and it's, it's a big deal, but the schedule is the easiest, I have to say. Soaps were incredibly hard. I lucked out a bit and everybody wanted to be in my scenes because I was underage when I started it, 16, 17. So I got to um, get off early because, you know, the age limits from the law. So that part of it, I didn't have to work the 12, 16 hour days at the beginning. But once I turned 18, <laughs> I had to work all those days. But um, yeah, it's soaps. You have to learn like 40 pages like a day and you get so good at memorizing and um, just doing things fast. And I really believe that was what trained me for everything else. And I hate to say that, you know, soaps are a training ground because they're a real job and they're, you know, really great actors who were on there. And yeah, so I basically, uh, I was like thrown into this, this world where I got to, you know, learn everything from very uh, established actors who've been the show for like 20 years and stuff. And on other shows, they've been on for 40 years and things like that. It's like, it's just, I just don't think people give it the respect that they should because it is such, it's such a hard job. It's a rewarding job. It's got a very strong fan base. And I know I was part of that fan base and um, people are very loyal to you. Even though after all these years, people still come up to me and say, Wow, I remember when you were Jessica Forrester <laughs> on the one the beautiful. And I looked so different. I was such a I had long blonde hair. I was such an ingenue. I was everything bad happened to me on that show. Like I everything. I was my mother had an affair with my boyfriend while I was in a diabetic coma. I was my <laughs> <laughs> a guy tried to get me pregnant by poking holes in the condoms because I had the big money. I had the wow. Forrester fortune. <laughs> I don't know wow. how I had I don't know how I had the Forrester fortune. I was the like the niece, but right. still. And then I found out though, and I tricked him and then I pretended I was pregnant and then he found out and he raped me and almost set me on fire at a bikini bar. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ. <laughs> There's a lot. There was a lot. And I'm still like really great friends with that guy today. Yeah. I was about to ask with soaps. It's like one of two things. It's coma and then it's oh, yeah, super long lost twin. Like, yeah. Did you have, I didn't a twin? have a twin? No, I didn't okay. have a twin, but the coma was a good one. <laughs> Actually, the coma is yeah. great because you just come in and you just lay in the bed and have everybody act all over you. And right. you're just like, I get to be cozy in this hospital bed all day. <laughs> There's no lines you have to learn that no, day. It's but my just... hair almost got a caught on fire when I passed out from the diabetic coma because it was at a wedding, of course. It was at a of big course. wedding. And I was feeling faint. And I was near candles, and I remember my co-star looking at me and saying, oh, your hair's on fire. I had very long hair with a lot of hairspray on it. And he was like, patting it oh out. Oh, my God. Thankfully, he did get it, and it just singed me. 
<laughs> yeah, so, but I was like going to faint. And so I was near these candles and it was a very dramatic moment. <laughs> Little did we know that there was going to be a fire safety meeting that needed to happen that day. Wow. Exactly. I know. But nobody like said anything about it. Nobody wanted to like, you know, <laughs> recognize I almost died on the set. <laughs> right. Acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you started doing cosplay post Boy Meets World. Was that the transition into working in pornography? Yes, definitely cosplay was the transition, but it was such a longer transition than you're thinking just past Boy Meets World. It was like there was so much time in between Boy Meets World and when I started really getting involved in my cosplay career and starting doing content and all of that. None of that was available first when I uh, was doing Boy Meets World or right afterwards. And then I did White Chicks and stuff. And But then the, the, the roles just really dried up. And I was typecast so severely for being on Boy Meets World because it was such a popular show. And I was identified, but I wasn't the star of the show, which was a weird thing because it wasn't like I was Ben Savage and everybody like knew you as boy. It was like I was on the show and I was known, but they didn't quite know what to do with me in Hollywood. And it was frustrating because they wanted me to remain an image that was what people were comfortable with and what I was known as on the show, kind of like the girl next door. I was definitely the the sexier kind of variety of a Disney character. And a lot of things on the show were very, I won't say overtly sexual, kind of very subtly sexual that if you look at it now, you definitely pick up on it. But back then it was uh, more of an, an innocent type of show. But yeah, so they wouldn't let me play any roles that were more adult or something that I wanted to do. Not, I'm not even talking about pornography or anything. I'm just talking about like playing more sex, sexy roles, more grown up roles, more like dramatic roles. That was kind of, I wanted to do that. And I didn't want to just be typecast into just doing sitcom or just doing comedy or lighthearted or anything. I want to do some more dramatic things, but that still, it just wasn't happening for me. And I eventually, I got married. I moved to New York. I kind of needed to get away from it all and really restart my life and, and think about what I wanted to do with myself. Cause I was so frustrated with Hollywood in general, but I still loved acting and performing and all of that. I really got into writing when I went to New York and erotic writing, actually. That's where I really started to explore that side of myself and things that I had suppressed in the past, bringing them up and like exploring them. And I kind of felt like being away from Hollywood and that whole system where I was sort of, it was like being trapped and watched and getting away to New York was a great outlet for me to explore myself. But then I came back to, from New York and I started to go to school at UCLA for screenwriting. And I, I really fully with my writing and everything, I thought that's what I was going to do. Maybe I'd be a star in like a film project that I got together or something, or maybe I just sell scripts. I was happy with doing that. I feel like all of my characters kind of that I wrote about in my scripts mirrored me. They were always kind of a little bit sexually frustrated and, and, the world had come against them and they had to battle it back. And I see that now. Oh, they were all very similar. But around that time, that's when Girl Meets World, the spinoff for Boy Meets World, was picked up. And we were all from Boy Meets World, like thrown back into that whirlwind of the show. And it's funny because back when Boy Meets World was on, we never knew how popular it was. We knew it was a good show and it had been on a long time and it got good ratings, but we didn't know how much it meant to the audience or how iconic it had been. And we really, I remember just seeing the reaction from like the show coming back and the interest in the cast 
again, I remember we were all really floored by how much it had meant to people and how excited people were to have it back. But it was kind of scary for me because I was thinking, wait, I've worked to kind of get away from this. I've explored my own self. I've said I want to do something else. And now there's all this attention. But I was found that the attention that was focused back on me, I was able to do things that I really like to do with it, especially with social media. So that's when I started doing cosplay. And it's, I always loved cosplay and I always loved like Star Wars and like all of the, um, you know, superhero stuff and fantasy stuff. And I, but I didn't know that there could be a career branch from that. And so when I started, you know, I went to a Comic-Con and I would go and dress up a little bit. And then finally I did a red carpet where a photographer came up to me and said, I have a slave Leia costume from Star Wars for May the 4th be with you. Do you want to do a photo shoot? It's like authentically made. And, and I was like, yes, I'll do it. I'll let's just do it. And I didn't realize how popular it would be because it was like all over the press the next day that I did that. And so then I, that really catapulted my cosplay career. And also Snapchat was actually the, the thing that was solidified me in that world. And I remember the first time I went to a Comic-Con and somebody came up to me and said, I really love your work. And I thought, you know, like every other time I'd gone, it's like, oh, from Boy Meets World or from something, from maybe from White Chicks, maybe from something I've done. And they're like, I love you on Snapchat. And I knew that was like the first time I said, that's a new world. <laughs> like he like primarily only knew me from Snapchat. <laughs> Right. Well, and something that wasn't available to you when you started your career, right? Like social media is a still relatively new thing. Yeah. And, you know, it opens up all of these potential opportunities that, you know, wasn't available late 90s, early 2000s. Like that wasn't a thing. Oh, yeah. We didn't have any connection with the audience. And that's the thing, too. It's that's how we didn't know, too, how much of an impact it was making. I think today, if we were go on you know, Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, or whatever, you would right. see immediately how much the show impacted people and how younger people loved it and, and all that. But we didn't. We had the magazines. We had a fan event where people would line up or something, but it would. Right, right, right. But it was not that total knowledge that these young people were really like feeling that Boy Meets World was a part of their lives and Feeny was their grandpa and this was their show on Friday night and stuff and how much it meant to them. And social media was responsible, like once Girl Mates World came back to show us how much it meant. And that's it. And I could have taken the path of saying, well, Girl Mates World's coming back. I'm going to just totally dive into my Boy Meets World past and completely rely on that. Get a couple episodes on Girl Meets World and go back into that. But I was just fighting that and I didn't want to do that. So I really said to myself, you know what? I have this audience. I have new renewed interest. You know, I went on the set of the pilot of Girl Meets World and I had a picture with Bill Daniels, uh, Mr. Feeney, and I put it up on my Instagram and Instagram was like nothing. Then It was literally, it was like 900 people, a thousand people. I don't remember, but I put it up and like the next day people like Perez Hilton has, has it on his site, like Feeney and Rachel back together again with this little writing. And then my Instagram like grew overnight and it was like, I, I really saw the impact of the social media there. And so I was like, wait, I have this audience. I'm going to be my authentic self. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm tired of like have, being told what to do. And people really responded to my cosplay. They responded to my sexy kind of fun setups that I did on the beach. Like I would just do all sorts of crazy things for holidays. Like I celebrated like Star Trek day. I celebrated like I did everything and I'd dress up and I'd have fun and and people really responded to that. And that's how my social media started to snowball. And then Snapchat was the 
main thing that people were really uh, watching because I could do all sorts of crazy things. I wasn't doing anything pornographic, but you know, it had like a little shadows of my nipple or like little sex sexual things. And Snapchat would very much allow that in the beginning. They started to clamp down on it. So Snapchat was really a free ground for me to, you know, kind of explore and be more sexy or be more suggestive. But uh, yeah, eventually they started taking down my pictures. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how content came out. That's how I started to get into selling content. I am really intrigued and fascinated by a lot of the conversation that's happening right now with young actors in Hollywood, how they're being treated and the sexualization mm -hmm. that happens yeah. to them. You experienced some of this on Boy Meets World, and you mentioned in your book that your character specifically had the least amount of clothes and uh, that yes, sentiment really that stuck out to me. <laughs> and you also, you know, even mentioned in our conversation so far that like, because it was Disney, it wasn't maybe overtly sexual, but it was, yeah. it was implied <laughs> sexuality. So being in your underclothes, you said didn't really bother you, but what bothered you was the feeling that the writers were having fun mm -hmm. at your expense. Yeah. How has this changed since you moved into porn and are starting to create your own content? Well, it's funny because in porn, I've never in a million years would parade around in my lingerie in front of producers for the company ever. And I did that at Disney. We can, hold on. I just got to stop you there. That is such a significant phrase <laughs> yes. that you just said. Significant thing of like in pornography. I yeah. would not pray, parade around for producers in lingerie. No. But I, I did on Boy Meets World. No, for producers. Ex that's exactly that's wow. exactly what happened. And for the Disney higher ups. And that's that's so true. And it's it's like that would be insane for me. And people would think, oh, you're you're just naked in front of having sex with everybody. And like there's so much like protocol in porn that I don't think people realize. But at Disney it was more it was just the culture back then. I don't know how it is right now for the young people. I hope it's better. I hope there's more awareness to it. And I hope that people talking out about the past and about what happened, uh, being sexualized and having problems, and especially like people who had way worse experiences than I did in that department have given voice to that. Um, I don't know completely. I'm sure there's still a lot of issues. But I have to say, back in those days in the 2000s and everything it was so much just part of the culture like i thought they were having fun at my expense but i don't think that anybody set out to like think oh let's trap her in this room and look at her laundry it was just what happened it wasn't it was just what you could do with actors and you know what i have to say though the executive producer from boy meets world michael jacobs we've had some wonderful conversations since my book came out and we have really come to terms with a lot of things right after. And I really appreciate this, that he called me and we uh, spoke for like an hour and a half and we recognized things back and forth. And I really do believe all of that stuff with the lingerie and stuff came from higher ups at Disney, who definitely had a stronghold on, you know, what was what was happening and what they wanted to see from certain people and and certain shows and characters and everything. And um, I think we've seen that in other people's stories too. But yeah, it was just the mindset back then. It was like girls were sexualized, but then they had to be very virginal at the same time. Like it's, we're seeing it all coming out with the Britney Spears stuff and everything. Like she had to be this virginal queen sexual person in these, you know, but then she had to hide everything about herself sexually and tell everybody she's a virgin. So that was very much the, the environment back then. I was just having a conversation with my best friend because, yeah, we're recording this 
as we literally just found out Britney Spears, Dwight, two days ago, terminated a pregnancy that was Justin Timberlake. And that, like, I'm assuming when this comes out, we'll have more information about that. But we were literally talking, my best friend and I this morning, about, like, how dirty we did famous women in late 90s, early 2000s. Just, like, how horribly we treated them, how the media scrutinized every decision they made, how they pitted women against each other. Oh, yeah. And... Like, it didn't seem like anything at the time because it was just, that was, that was normal. Oh, it was just the, it was just the mindset. It was just normal. And that's what it was. I mean, the way that they scrutinized women's weight and and how they, oh, it was off. I'm like, these girls. Do you remember that Jessica Simpson photo? You remember that? Yes. And she was like gorgeous shape. Like she looked great. Yeah. It was curvy and And hot. It was terrible. Oh. I remember, I remember the Alicia Silverstone stuff. I, I remember I saw her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I went to the premiere of Clueless, which was cool. It was on the beach and everything for the MTV beach house or whatever. And she was like the star rising and everybody was talking about like, she's amazing. And then like, so shortly afterwards, they were just ripping her apart for being fat girl and all this stuff. And I don't even understand where all of that came from. It was so damaging. And it really, even, you know, me as an actress, um, it was just the feeling of always you needed to be so skinny. You needed to be so perfect. You needed to be pleasing to everybody. And so even with the whole lingerie thing and my, like I talk about in my book, I was at that point, I was so much more consumed with them liking me or thinking that I was sexy because I felt so insecure about like, was I, did I look good enough? Was I, am I cute enough in this lingerie? Are they going to think that I'm fat? Are they going to think that I'm stupid or like not cute or whatever? So that was the mindset going in and that overpowered any feeling of me feeling uncomfortable or didn't overpower the feeling, but overpowered the thoughts of me needing to focus on that. (laughs) Like I needed to focus on pleasing more than how comfortable I was with the whole thing. I was just going to say, it sounds like with your transition to porn, it was like probably for many years, it was, yeah, how can I placate other people? How can I help mm-hmm. my body and my my actions, how I show up? How can that placate or, mm-hmm. you know, be the best I can be for somebody else? And now it sounds like it's like, how do I own what I want, my own sexuality, my own yeah. body, as opposed to somebody else getting to dictate what is done with it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the uh, exact point of it all. And I really think that's what being in porn and stuff has given me. It's given me the freedom of taking just power, control, freedom back with my own body and how I want to use it and how it benefits me. Like, I feel like when I was being sexualized or being used on like shows for certain reasons or whatever, like they were benefiting from everything. And now I get to take control of my brand and my body and my sexuality and stuff and benefit myself by building a business and a name and everything from that. So I think it was so empowering. And I think that's what porn has really given me is my own power back. And I think that people think that going into pornography means that you're losing power. And I, I think that is a huge misconception. Of course, there's certain people that come into and they, especially younger girls might, you know, not know what they're getting into, or they do it for the wrong reasons or whatever, but that happens in acting and modeling and music and (laughs) all over the place. But, and I did come into pornography much older with, with, you know, years of experience and, and soul searching and all of that. So I did come in from a different place, but it's amazing to me how many 
girls and women in porn are so empowered by building their own brands and making their own money. And like you have girls that are, you know, buying houses, getting into real estate, paying off college, like they just, they don't have student debt (laughs) because, you know, they're, they're making money in this industry that they're able to take control and of their own power and body and sexuality and do this and build these brands. And, you know, maybe you don't do it forever, but you still enjoy it and benefit from it and stuff. And I think that if you are in the right mindset going into porn, it's so empowering. It really is. And I really felt like even the first time that I, you know, got in, got in lingerie for porn, not parading in front of the producers, but <laughs> no, but doing my own content. I see, I did my own content first when, um, for about a year and a half before I ever did a professional porn scene. So that was really in my own hands. Like I was, I was calling all the shots and saying, what are we doing next? Let's, let's start off with, you know, just nudie pictures, you know? So what really happened was a Snapchat, like I said, started taking down photos and started, you know, messing with me and threatening my account and all this stuff. And I really wasn't doing anything terrible back then. Like I said, you could see my nipple through the shirt or you could see the shadow in like a shower or a picture like where I'm covering up the suds or something like that. But my fans said, hey, why don't you start content? And I didn't even know what that meant, content. And back, this was back in 2000, the beginning of 2018. And it was still relatively new, like OnlyFans had not exploded or anything. And I started out on Patreon. Yeah. But um, I said, yeah, let me, I'll just sell content on Patreon. I guess if anybody's interested, I could, because the people were saying you could have freedom with it. You could make money. You could, you know, go further with it if you right. want. And nobody's going to judge you. And at that time, Patreon was a little more open to, they had an adult section. I mean, they still do, but they've cut, clamped down a lot over the years as well. Yeah. But at, the, at that time, the adult like art was it. So I was going to do like Playboy-esque type photos and stuff. And cosplay sexy cosplay photos and videos so i just said i put it up you know i don't know if anybody's going to be interested but like literally overnight by the it was like i was the top creator on adult patreon because it was just insane i had like three thousand subscribers immediately and then that really set off the entire thing because then i was like wow this i have my own business i can do my own thing i can you know say what i want to do and what i don't want to do and i tiptoed all the way throughout it and i kept getting closer and closer to pornography and to like exploring my sexual side and being able to explore it with my fans like in live time they were seeing exactly what i was doing like exploring right as I was doing it. So it was, it was, I feel like it's a very special journey and relationship with them that led me to, I first started doing like girl, girl shoots and then started like expanding till I eventually did boy, girl stuff with two uh, board performers that I found and trusted very much. And I learned so much. And that was, that was over the course of like a year and a half before I did a professional porn film. Maitland, I have so many questions for you. (laughs) So you mentioned feeling like empowered in pornography. One of the biggest things that I think about with porn is that I would classify a lot of it and it's very tempting to put the entire industry into the stereotype that it is exploitative and it is violent towards women. And Mm -hmm. we know that there's a lot of pornography out there that is that way. 
And that is, mm-hmm. you know, extremely degrading. And uh, like the biggest question I have for you is it's like, is porn feminist? Like, can it be feminist? Yes. You mentioned Absolutely. like, I feel empowered. And I know that, you know, there's certain content that I do feel like is safe and that is, you know, exploring sexuality and that is consensual. And then, of course, there's pornography out there that maybe isn't even classified yeah. as pornography because it is degrading towards women. So, yeah, is porn feminist? It's interesting that you bring that up. And I think there gets a lot of confusion with pornography. What is pornography? Now, I what I'm saying of pornography is professional companies that are hiring like would be like studios like Warner Brothers or Disney or whatever who are making professional product. A lot of porn that you're classifying as this is stuff that gets uploaded to Pornhub that is not from a company. It's from two guys making some terrible video with some girl out in the woods or it's some, or it's stolen porn or it's like, it's most of the stuff that is on Pornhub that you were seeing that is so violent or so degrading is not from a company. Right. It's not from, it's like saying that you, I found this independent movie on some channel that was just vile and disgusting or, or I saw it on the internet some film that people made and comparing it to like uh you know avatar or something right, like, right. You know, I don't know like <laughs> I just put a movie that does not have a comparison but I was just thinking of a movie too and I also think that the taboos that are so surrounding porn I think people attach themselves to that oh it's degrading it's all this stuff but it it puts taboos on girls where they can't explore sexually outside of the porn business because they are like taboo is like marked on them. And if there was more freedom and more acceptance of girls and women who wanted to explore and men too, um, and there's just not as much uh, taboo on the men generally than there is the women. But if they wanted to explore, you know, how they sexually and like, however they wanted, and there was more acceptance of that, I think a lot more of that terrible porn that is it's right on the border of illegal, even like, you know, uploading it stuff, but it's very, very sketchy. And it's, it's, it's what people just see on Pornhub for free too, right. for free. You're, you're watching it on there. So a lot of that stuff is just how, whatever people make. And I think the more that, that, that degrading porn is elevated. And I don't mean elevated in the way that people like it, well, they do like it, but I mean, like elevated in the way that it's looked at as like, oh, this is the porn mainstream. we must destroy. Yeah. yeah. Like it's looking at mainstream porn. I think um, that hurts pornography in general. And that also hurts women to say, we're going to get rid of all this porn to help them because it's not helping them to get rid of like all porn. Yeah. <laughs> like it is helping them to get rid of like bad porn and to have to have verified accounts on these things and to have to right. like I, the porn community was very up in arms. Like there, there wasn't enough verification for Pornhub originally when they had all those problems and stuff because they were just letting anybody upload stuff. Right. And we always wanted to have our verified accounts where we put our stuff up or the studios like put their stuff up where it's verified product where you have to follow the rules. It's like, I think people don't realize how many rules go into a professional porn set. I'm sure some of these terrible movies that you're seeing don't have any of that. They're not making you test all the time. Let's talk about that because I'm intrigued Mm -hmm. by that. And I have done my own research to know a bit about that. But like, if, mm-hmm. you know, you are, and I imagine it's an insult to you all who, you know, take this work very seriously to get lumped in mm-hmm. with all of the people who yeah. are creating extremely violent, degrading, I wouldn't even classify it as porn. It's just abuse. Like, mm-hmm. so talk to me about yeah. what does happen on a set? What, 
is required in terms of consent testing protocol? Like, what does that look like? Well, we have to test every two weeks when you're working steadily. So you have to test your whole full panel, blood, urine, swabs up the butt, like everything every two weeks. And it's funny before like a porn scene, you have to go and you have to record yourself holding your identification, two IDs. They have to be, you know, verified and you have to uh, sign paperwork and consent and say that you're not under the influence of anything. Nobody's forcing you to be here. Nobody like you are doing this of your own consent and your own free will. And you say all of these things on camera with a newspaper thing with the date on it, with all this stuff. Yeah, it takes paperwork oh, takes wow. about a half an hour for you to like fill out everything. And um, you have to they have to show you signing it on camera. And this is before every shoot. This is before every single shoot. Yeah. Wow. Every single shoot. And then when you go on set, you have to give your nose which are basically, yeah, your consent, like what you don't like, what you, what you do like, what you, but you have to have us talk with the people in your scene and you have to map it out ahead of time. I mean, it's very taboo if anybody would go against that. And I know at least when I, so I work with Vixen uh, as a contract person and I can, they would stop the scene like immediately if somebody like purposely went against somebody's no list. Right. Is that a industry-wide thing or is that just Vixen? Yeah, for the bigger for the big companies. I mean, Vixen is yeah. very careful about all that, but for the for the major companies, everybody has to do the paperwork. Everybody has to consent and do all of that. Have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Every, have, yeah, definitely, and that's like a big deal. And now we're even putting all our nose on video as well. Mm. Thing. So we have it ahead of time. And then yeah, and if you want to stop it in time during the scene, you you know, nobody's going to ask you any questions about that. But yeah, so there, there's just very much protocol. It's not like people think they come onto a set and it's just like this wild thing with orgies and drugs. Oh God, and if there's drugs or anything, that's like a huge no. Like people uh, like are ripped from the set if they're under any influence that's affecting anything. <laughs> like, you know, that's like a huge no. And I think people think, oh, you know, they're, everybody's got STDs, everybody's right. drugged, everybody's, it's like, it's so much further from the truth. I mean, I remember doing love scenes in, it's been so long, but in like soaps and like past that, um, you know, in whatever films or whatever. And I feel like I got no direction. <laughs> I got no conversation. I, got, I just was like, right. Go. We're starting to get intimacy coordinators on set, but like we're yes, only they just are. starting to understand that that might be a good thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I know. So I haven't experienced that on a mainstream set for intimacy coaches, but it's just, there's been that for such a long time in porn just because of the nature of the business and everything. But I just think laying it out all ahead of time is so, so important. And I I always feel like actors in mainstream, at least from my experience and from hearing about people's experiences and just being on, you know, in the world of soaps where they were doing a lot of love scenes, even more than me, (laughs) but right. People get so nervous. Like mainstream actors are so nervous. And I actually had an actor who I won't say his name, but <laughs> Good point. Because he says, you know, they asked, like, why would actors, and he was mainly talking about guys, why would they not want to do porn? And people think, oh, because it's taboo. And he's like, no, because they're too embarrassed to get naked. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that's the truth. If they had yeah. big dicks like the guys in porn, they'd be swinging them out there every. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, yeah, funny. that is, that's very true. <laughs> so that, yeah, the Hollywood actors are, are, I don't know, they get so weird about sex scenes. Everybody gets like quiet and nervous and giggly and it's, right. I don't know. We take it more seriously. <laughs> it's just the job, you know, in porn. Yeah. And I think that I don't know anybody else in any other industry who is, you know, testing every two weeks to make sure even people who are like casually it's, it's dating, who's out here, you know, like testing every <laughs> two weeks. I know. I actually, oh my God. I heard of a girl who said she was dating. She goes, oh, I got, I got an STD test. And like three months later, she wanted to get another one. And she was like, God, it's just so much. And I'm like, you waited three months. <laughs> Like I'm out here every 14 days, girl. I was like, <laughs> I know what? <laughs> that seems like so long. <laughs> yeah. But you were talking about like also is porn feminist? Yeah. And I think that's a question that's what makes it feminist though? I think anything with consent on the women's side of something she enjoys. I mean, like I do scenes where he pulls my hair and he's choking me or like in a, you know, but I enjoy that. And it's a consensual scene. If somebody is being taken against their will, that is totally different. But uh, and then I do scenes right. where I pull the guy's hair and I'm like beating on him. <laughs> so I don't know. I, <laughs> I play a mistress a lot of the times where I'm like so diabolical and it's a lot of fun, but I go both ways. So I think, I think anything where it's like fun and it's consensual and you agree to it ahead of time and you like it and, and you've agreed on the setup that's an empowering thing because think about in the world how much how much we don't get to agree to and how much and sexually how many women are like right. told to do things or forced to do things and stuff but to be able to say listen i like my hair pull do it like this and do it like you know like in this way and you know fuck me this way and i'm you know this is great so i feel like um that is really empowering one of my questions then like okay so there's this you know consent discussion between you and any other performers on set mm-hmm. is like a director also part of that consent because i think there, oh, again, yeah. there is like this stereotype of girls in front of this like sleazy director smoking a cigarette who's like do this you know <laughs> yeah. is the director or anybody else who might be calling shots on set also part of that conversation oh yeah absolutely they're standing there with us and it's funny that you say that because my primary director who's one director Kate of the year cross. four times came cross mm-hmm. so it's there's a lot of women in porn and people don't realize how many women are are very successful directing and producing in porn. And, and I, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with her because that yeah. has to feel different. Yes. Even the chillest, most, you know, consent focused man, it has to feel different to have a woman directing you. And I know that you in many ways have yeah. become her muse and work together really well with her. So mm-hmm. like how does that feel different or how is a set different with a woman directing. It definitely adds to uh, to, the comfortability factor, of course, is there that that there's a woman who knows like, and she's also was a great performer in her own right. So she knows exactly what you're going through on the scenes and like what, what it means to be a performer and to direct the scenes. So I feel like it's, it's very empowering for a lot of girls, especially to see someone so successful like her. And of course it is for me, but I'm seeing like younger girls who are on the set and stuff and they, they look to a woman like her to aspire to her and to say, listen, 
she's creating stuff. She's empowered. She's, she's successful. And that's why it's so frustrating to hear that old story about, oh, the guy with the cigarette, you know, directing the orgies, handing out the drugs. And it's like, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like you were talking about like soaps, so much dialogue, so many pages. I mean, I had a three page monologue from Kate in one, like three solid pages that I had to memorize. And it was like, that's where I felt like soaps had trained me. And I feel, honestly, I feel like the soap world is so much like the porn world. It's like the same, except different yeah. players there. It's this little world off of Hollywood. Who's, you know, looked not, down upon by right, not taken certain, seriously, not taken yeah. seriously, but has like more fans many times than than uh, a lot of these mainstream ventures and stuff, and and the personalities are very similar too, and we all know each other, and it's yeah. it's just it's interesting. But yeah, I feel like it's a very strong thing to have a female director, a strong female director on set, and to really. But you know what? I think women can get even dirtier and more diabolical. And I think they can really delve into what, you know, gets in a man's psyche too, with the men watching. And, and, and also it's really cool too, when there's a feminine element of the director uh, in the film, I think it really comes across that way because I have so many like couples come to me and I had one couple at uh, one of my book signings. It was amazing. It's, she said she had, um, she didn't like porn. He liked to watch porn and he liked it. He wanted to be part of their relationship or part of their foreplay or whatever. Yeah. Not their relationship, but the, yeah, their foreplay. And she didn't like it at all. And he says, well, why don't you watch this movie? One of my movies, I think Muse, it was Muse, the movie that I did that, uh, one of them with Caden. And she was like, wow, this has like a full story and it's interesting and it's mm -hmm. female empowering. And it's like, and then it's hot. And she said, I like added so much to their marriage because she could find this porn outlet that she enjoyed and she liked watching and she liked the story and she liked being her mind fucked before fucked. Like it's not just going to it. You're, you're in this <laughs> mental thing first. And I think that's even sexier. And I think women really bring that to the yeah. table so much. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's just a different kind of a multi-dimensional porn. And I think women are very responsible when they're directing for bringing all of those elements to it. And I think we really understand that it's not just the old thing of just point and shoot them having sex. Like it's, you need all of the elements of, of sight, sound, taste, what, you know, the feeling of all of that to really have this full experience. And, and yeah, and Caden is, uh, the front runner of all this, but there are any other female directors who are really like have been in the game and have done amazing work and also who are coming up younger directors and I'm directing a project now. So it's like, and I've directed scenes and stuff, but I'm directing a fuller project and it's just, it's really, it's inspiring. And I, and I do believe they like think about the women directors in Hollywood, how few there are for films and right, yet right. we can like make our films here and win awards and create the products we want to. I mean, and Hollywood would never let me create a serious role where I'd have such, you know, lengthy acting role with the kind of stuff that I wanted to do that was provocative, that was dark and devious, whatever I wanted to do. They wouldn't let me do that. But I get to be able to do that in porn and offer it to an audience that, listen, it's much greater than, you know, what people who are watching independent films are and people love it. And I have such a loyal fan base because of it. So it's just a great marriage of the worlds. And I always say like, I don't think people should think of porn and mainstream as separate. 
they, it's because porn is mainstream. It's not, it's not this hidden thing in the dark. And I think younger generations definitely know that like people in their twenties will come up and say, I just love porn. I love these people. And and they'll feel comfortable with what people in their fifties might be like, Oh my God, what, what is porn? It's so scary. (laughs) So I think that thing is shifting. I mean, I think you've been since you, started doing pornography pretty dominant in the industry in terms of winning awards and in terms of your success and your rates are some of the highest in the industry. I want to talk like this is like one of two financial questions, which is like, how do you learn to negotiate and ask for what you're worth, especially in an industry that has so much stigma and like, we're talking about two very stigmatized things, money and sex, right? Like, yeah. So how, how did that work for you? Right. Well, I came into it from a different way, just the, my history, like with Boy Meets World and mainstream, my mainstream career and everything was going to put me on a higher pay scale, no matter what. And then when I came in to, you know, my first film that I did with Caden Cross that just blew up all over the internet and it's, and it it blew up the sites and everything that they were, where they were showing it, um, that put me like, I immediately got signed to a contract. And so that was that now I'm t- now if you're talking about like other girls coming into the industry, I think it's very important that they know their worth and they and I think it's much easy not easier but it's much more accessible now to know your worth because of things like OnlyFans and because of platforms where you sell content. You know your fan base, you know what they're willing to pay, you know your popularity, you can measure it that way, and I think that's very important because I know like porn back in the VHS days or DVD days or whatever, you didn't know. And you'd had to take whatever the uh, the companies were willing to pay you. I mean, there were contract girls that made a lot more just because they were, of course, they were more popular and you knew that. But the power has really gotten into the women's hands because of OnlyFans and things like that. Because you can just sit at home and go live and make some money. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing that women are able to, you know, build their brands on their own and they don't have to rely on the studios anymore. So I think that's put a lot of power into their hands. And that's something that mainstream is missing really, because there's not really a platform. They, I mean, mainstream people can go to OnlyFans, but not, not generally. I mean, cameos, <laughs> I don't think that's the same thing. Cameos, or maybe I mean like social media. Social like media, yes. Influencer yes, and doing like if you're very an classic influencer, influencer yes, deals. Absolutely, yes. But yeah, it's not, to your point, it's not much different. George Clooney taking, I'm going to, I'm going to relate porn (laughs) to George Clooney for a second. Like George Clooney taking an espresso deal versus shooting another Oceans movie, right? I feel like that might be the version of like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, partnering with a big studio or showing up on OnlyFans at home. Yeah, right. And you just do that and you make a lot of money and you, yeah. And it's fun too. And I think during the whole thing, like when we were in COVID and everything, it really blew up. Uh, and I, my audience was huge and we had so much fun we were inside all the time and I was able to do live shows and, and talk to everybody. And there was a real human connection there when the whole world lost that human connection. And, and I would do all these videos and stuff where I do fake dates where people would buy them and we pretend like I'd meet them at a bar and like we were out having a good time and stuff in a time when nobody was out or anything. But I do also think people tend to believe that, oh, if you go to OnlyFans, it's somebody new. They can make tons of money right away. And it's just like, it's not true. It's not true. And I think COVID, after COVID, it really kind of started leveling off where it's the the porn performers and the influencers and the real 
established people are making the big money and and definitely performers in porn who aren't maybe um or on social media who aren't maybe the biggest definitely make good money on it but like we were seeing before a teacher quitting school just you know make money on OnlyFans or but if you're not serious about building your brand and business there it's gonna kind of go astray it's it is a lot of hard work because like you spend so much time like making content and doing custom videos and photo sets and just you know a lot of stuff so it is a lot of work but you're not working for a studio right. when you're doing it so you are in control of everything and you are branding your own stuff and making your own money so that's that's really empowering Maitland, I don't know how to ask this question. So I'm going to, I'm going to noodle it with you. Ask it. (laughs) No, I'm just, I, when a lot of like sex work gets discussed, it is almost like a means to an end where it's like, okay, I'm going to go strip. I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go on OnlyFans. I'm going to be part of porn and Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it to get my bag and then I'm going to leave, which the show's called Financial Feminist. I'm like, however you want to get your bag and you're not hurting yourself or others, great. Do whatever you got to do. Right, right. But I also, it leaves me feeling a little icky because I'm like, I don't want you to hate what you have to do in order to make a bunch of money. Or I don't want you to feel like, you know what, I'll just tolerate this. And then once I have enough money where I don't have to tolerate it anymore, I'll quit. Now, it sounds like for you, that's not where you're at. This yeah. is something you you enjoy, that you get to explore no. your sexuality. But I just, I know that there's two sides of it and I don't know how to reckon that. I don't, I, again, I don't know how to, I don't know if this is a yeah. question, but it's one of the things I yeah. feel where it's like, no, it's very yeah, true. you get in, you get enough money and you quit because you're like, yeah, I didn't really enjoy it, but I got the money that I needed to do whatever I want to do. And it's also like, I can, I can say this mm-hmm. with any job. Like mm-hmm. most of us work jobs we don't like until, until we get enough money yeah, that we get to quit. True, right. true. So, yeah. I mean, You're making money, I, so- I, I just feel it's, it's challenging. It's tricky if it is, you know, especially women doing something where they don't love it, but they love the money, you know? Yeah, no, I know that's frustrating for me too, because I really believe that. I also believe a lot of girls have to say that because it's such a taboo thing. They have to mm. distance themselves from the job, even because I, it's hard unless somebody is is severely like troubled or mentally ill or right. s- such a sad circumstance that they're coming into it where they're being forced in some way, which is terrible um, and should be, you know, policed and right. <laughs> by people. So that's a separate, separate case. But I think there are, are a lot of girls and I've seen instances of it where they distance themselves from the work. So it's like they don't feel bad. Because the society yeah. looks on them as bad. And like, I'm just making money. Money's good. Money is good in society. Money is an acceptable thing to right. make, which is fine. It is to me too. But if you enjoy your sexual work or if you enjoy stripping or if you enjoy, it has to be like, oh, I'm doing it for this reason. I don't, I, I'm distancing myself from that. And because because there are so many young girls I have seen, and I would not be this young girl that I come in the industry where I'm confident about myself, and I was not that young girl, 21, 22, or whatever, where they're so sexually confident and they really love what they're doing, and I feel people put that badge on them that oh they must be messed up or they're they don't enjoy what they're doing, they're just doing it to make this money, mm-hmm. and I. 
I honestly see firsthand that they absolutely enjoy what they're doing. And it, then a lot of times they play into that narrative because of society's hold on them. Right. It's not socially acceptable. It's not socially acceptable to enjoy being sexual and enjoy, you know, stripping or OnlyFans or anything to um, make money. And also, you know, maybe you just want to do it for a certain amount of time, too, just because it's it's a lot of hard work. I mean, if right. you're going to be stripping right. every night or if you're going to be, I mean, it is physically a lot of hard work. So maybe you do just want to do it for a limited time. They say that in the business, there is like a time frame of talent. Like if they come in at six months, it's either they leave after six months, 18 months or three years plus. But I think the six monthers really come in it and they think it's going to be easy and it's just going to be like sex on camera and they don't realize what a business it is and how much work you have to put into it in order to succeed at this business. And I think those yeah. are the people who are like, I just, they're kind of like the people on OnlyFans who just said, oh, I'm just going to go on OnlyFans and, and make money and like just rake it all in. But they're not like thinking of building a brand or a business out of it. And it's always frustrates me when people say, um, and mainstream actors like to do this. Like, I'm desperate. I'll go sell my feet pictures on OnlyFans. And right. I saw this idiot actor like do a comedy <laughs> show. Um, and he's a soap actor. But he like made a whole thing about this. And I was like, you are such a douche. I'm sorry. Right. You wouldn't make <laughs> like, any money. Like, you wouldn't this make is, any right, money. Nobody right. wants to see your feet. And he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, COVID lasted longer. I was going to, you know. <laughs> well, it insults. It insults. Yeah. How this is actual insults work. People are making money. Right. Right. Yeah. It's actual work. And I think there are people that come into it. And think it's going to be easier. It's going to be a certain way. And it's not. Now, the 18 month people who come, leave after 18 months, I think. They just, they just, yeah, they worked. They just like tired. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think they made enough and they've made enough name for themselves. A lot of people though, they're talking about like they don't work professionally, but now they'll keep working on OnlyFans because they've built their audience right. and they've built that they don't have to go into the studio work all the time. I think now studio work, I mean, it's different for me because I like to make big films and, and I like to do big acting projects with porn. So I am backed by a big studio right. to, to be able to do that with a full film crew and cameras. And well, it probably feels more creative for you too, right? You're looking for a creative outlet. Yeah, I'm looking for the creative outlet. And, and then I have my OnlyFans separate, which is amazing. But for people who aren't interested in that facet of it or making like films and, and things, they come into the business to get recognition on the studio sites and they do a bunch of scenes and they get fan base and they build their base and their social media. And then by the time they get to about 18 months, they can go to OnlyFans and then they can do their own thing. So, and maybe once every so often come back for a scene just to pump up the base, you know, but it's a smart business. Pun intended. Model. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. A pun's always intended for me. <laughs> you said something earlier in the interview and you were talking, so I wasn't going to interrupt you, where you said the word nipple and then they clamped down nipple? on people. You <laughs> said nipple and then clamped down and I want, I was like... It's just in my brain. <laughs> I, know. I was like, nipple clamp, nipple clamp, nipple clamp. Okay. Nipple clamp! <laughs> we have had... Previous sex workers on the show, I don't know if you know Justine Cross, Mistress Justine Cross, who lives in L.A. No, but I feel a connection with Mistress, <laughs> Mistress Maitland. She is, yeah, she's like a BDSM. She has yeah, a dungeon that she owns in L.A. Oh, and- I respect that. That's like 
See, that's like full on. I'm not full on BDSM mistress. I'm more like voice mistress. Yeah. No, but she's incredible. And we've had some other sex workers on the show. They've talked about just like, it's very hard to manage the money you do make because it's the stigma, but also sometimes the work you're doing isn't, you know, isn't legal work. So is there certain things that you have to think about when you're making money and how you make money? You were talking about, you know, Snapchat cracking down on you. Yeah. Is there certain things that you have to keep in mind in order to like actually get your money deposited? Yeah, there definitely, I don't have so much of that because everything I do is legal. I'm not, I'm not looking down on anybody but right. that, but I'm not doing like I know what she means like sex work like traditional sex work sex right. work I'm doing pornography but um so I don't have to as much but I know people who've gotten turned down just by depositing money from certain like porn sites just because of their name and everything like luckily I mean I'm thankful like Vixen has a name that's not you know bang twatty hose.com <laughs> <laughs> LLC. Uh, Let's get Bang 20 Hose LLC. Yeah. No, you know what? I've known, I I won't say the names of them, but I've heard of girls who will not get hired on sites because their corpse are so dirty sounding. They don't want to get in trouble. The companies, they don't want to, like, if they're so like, raunchy, like, and I don't know why you would bring attention to yourself. Like they're the business that they incorporate to, oh, that's very fun. I didn't even think about that. Like we run under Victory Media. I imagine, yeah, if you're- No, think about it, like, yeah. <laughs> really fun. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. How do you name your company when you work in porn? <laughs> it's serious. I don't know why you would name it porny because that's what's really flagging you when you go to the <laughs> bank. Right. And yeah. Hello, Bank of America. <laughs> I'm looking my... to open up a business checking account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two slutty hoes. Um, yeah. <laughs> use my hole so yeah <laughs> no it's so dumb i don't <laughs> that's my advice out there i'm serious people think they're funny with it i don't get it but that's my advice name your stuff like an actual business because it is right yeah so anytime that kind of stuff goes through banks that's going to be flagged like so you need to know that and yeah and companies don't want to like write checks to these places because it looks like right. they're in it's just flags everything, even if it's totally on the up and up and it's just them being stupid. It's, it's, it's not good. Right. Well, companies are trying to crack down on the yes. activity that is trafficking or illegal. And yes. so, yeah, they see yeah. this, my whole and LLC even- and they're like, you know what? Probably not. <laughs> we're not going to let this transaction go yeah, through. Yeah, we're not like, and that's, <laughs> but banks do have this clause where um, they can say, that they don't approve of the work or whatever yeah. sex work. So yeah. that is a problem too. So yeah, if you're bringing attention to that, right. You don't have to be doing anything illegal. It's the fact that they think it's like this morality clause, which should, you know, be taken away from these banks and corporations and credit card companies and stuff saying that legal work is actually can be turned away because of their morality reasons and stuff. So right. I heard somebody say, um, you know, how politicians and stuff, which, crack down on porn and they want to get rid of porn. And this was a, a porn journalist that I was talking to and, and that people are worried like, Oh, would they shut down porn? Would there be nothing? And he, he said, no, there'll always be porn. These people in, in politics and on higher ups, they want to watch it. They just don't want to watch women be successful at it. They don't want to mm. watch them making money. They want to watch them be desperate for sex. They want to watch people and women be desperate and humiliated and mm-hmm. have to do sex and have to be a, the traditional view of like what they view a prostitute or a, a whore or whatever. Right. And I 
I use those words empoweringly otherwise, but that's what they're using them as. And so they don't want you to make money. They don't want you to be a success. And that's very threatening that OnlyFans and social media has made porn stars have more followers than mainstream actors and stuff. Right. Well, and I don't know any other industry where women a hundred percent of the time, unless it's gay porn, but a h- yeah. or like gay men porn and a hundred percent of the time get top bills. Yes. A hundred percent of the pay. time. If there's a woman in the scene, right. Like yes. they are the stars. They are the stars. They are the people that everybody's coming to see. Yes. And like, I don't know any other industry that operates It's so that true. Way. We're the top paid and top billed and top like featured like those yeah the girl is it like <laughs> the guy is the dick you have to have right. a big dick and good and whatever and i've actually known a lot of guys uh <laughs> quite a few guys that go to gay porn because of that because they and they're straight mm. they make way more money and they get more billing and they get you know can build their brand bigger that way so that's interesting you bring that up because yeah in in Informed, but it's it's wonderful to have a scene when a guy who's been in the industry a long time recognizes that and he knows that and knows what his job is. His job is to build up the girl in the scene to right, make her look the make best you shine. Cost. Yes, exactly. And those performers are just right. golden. And I, I, it's amazing. And it doesn't mean that they're not like, you know, rough and tumble and they can, you know, do all these things. You can trust them in the scene to carry it through because as a girl, you don't realize in the scene, especially like I did a gangbang one time. I've done a few, but <laughs> my first gangbang and it was part of the Muse uh, universe. The second Muse film that I did. It's a lot of hard work. I mean, it's so, it's so hard. You have to like give attention to all of these dicks. <laughs> I was sweating. My earrings were gone. It's I like mean, birds I was just, attacking it, you. It's just it's like-, like, yeah. And then there's, and then in this scene and, and specifically they had every people sitting around watching. Cause it was supposed to be like this sex kind of club and they weren't involved in the scene, but they were just watching it and like, you know, yeah. doing their thing in the background. I think to your point earlier of like, yeah, you show up and you have sex on camera. No, I think for the average person. That, I, that listening and me, I'm going like, that seems hard enough. You're like, that's hard enough. But like to think about, yeah, <laughs> you you have to be an athlete. Like you, you do. Like, you're oh going to need God, a yes. knee replacement. You're going to, you know, you've oh, got yes. uh, every single hole sometimes is, is got yes. things in it. And like that takes work and that is a muscle. It and, absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. I don't think people yeah. realize the athletic and to be towards the camera and to be like, right, you know, right. You're not you, having sex with, you know, your partner at home. You're having no. sex for a camera. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we always say, uh, your sex muscles are sore afterwards. And it's not what you think. It's like, like I say, I'm so sore from the sex. It's not my vagina or whatever. Right, right. It's my neck or my lower mm. back because I've had to turn around like this the entire time. And I'll always be like my sex muscles, like my, the ones you never use that are like, you have to hold yourself a certain way. Like my right. left side up here is, is hurting because I have to hold myself a certain way the whole time. And you're yeah, sweaty mess by the end. It's just, but it's, it is thrilling and it is a high because you just get to put all of yourself into it. And then at the end, it's like, wow, I did that. Maitland, uh, my last question for you is what, like we've been talking as we've gone through our conversation today of Mm. like the taboos and the stigmas. What do you wish like uh, you could dispel about your work? Oh, there's so much. I think we've talked about a lot of like what I, I would just, spell. I would spell that definitely first off that women are not in control of pornography being made because it is 
more and more going into the hands of women and also men that don't identify as like typical cis, you know, gender men that like, there's a lot more of that out there. That's like non-binary, like Barry, right? Like I know a couple of male directors who they identify as male, but they're very fluid, I guess is the word. I don't know about their, I'm all about them personally, but they're making some things that are really cool that are really like outside the box and are like just very relevant. And then all of the women that are in the gay women and the, it just, there's just so much. I think it's so interesting to me how the porn industry is so very open to all types of sexuality. And I think there are a lot of people that maybe have been oppressed in their lives for like their sexual preferences or what they wanted to do or who they were. And they come to the industry and they definitely find a family and a home of people that will accept them for their otherness. And I felt otherness too, and, and not as substantial a ways as some people, but I think they find a community there. And then they, I think what really damages them when they, in the end of porn is when they go back out into the world and people totally rip them apart for what they've done or what they, who they were or whatever. But I think that porn does offer a very solid community for people that, you know, aren't like everyone else, like anyone is really like everyone else, but you know, who don't identify as the typical, you know, sub suburban American person that we're supposed to like think is normal. Um, so I think that is, I think people think of porn as like being something that's dangerous and a bad place to be, but I think it's saved a lot of people. I really do. Porn has offered such a safety net and such a community for people that feel like they are other than that. I think that should be recognized more because it's really the people in the outside world that have this judgment and taboo that are affecting the people in the porn industry when they come out and want to maybe do something else. Maybe they don't want to do that for the rest of their lives. Maybe they're, they want to try something else, but to be not able to, because there's like this witch hunt after them. That's, that's terrible. But um, yeah, I think people should know that it's much more inclusive and much more open-minded and broad than anybody. And it's not what you see on Pornhub. Don't go to Pornhub, pay money and you're paying the performer and you're paying for quality. You're not going on Pornhub and watching terrible movies. And you're paying for protocol and consent. Like, yes, that's, exactly. It's 100% exactly. guaranteed if you pay. It's 100%. Yeah. Right. As opposed to whatever you're consuming out there, you potentially don't know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you're giving them money and then they can just keep using and abusing people. Right. Maitland. Thank you for your time. This was Thank such you. an interesting it was wonderful, conversation. Wonderful. Yeah, I feel like we just were talking. <laughs> no, it's great. Where can people find out more about you, learn more about your work? You can find me at uh, Maitland Ward, M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D-W-A-R-D, at like Twitter, Instagram, and then on TikTok. I'm, TikTok's a hard environment for a porn star, but they oh, yeah. always are trying to kick you off with things. So my, oh, yeah. it's Maitland Talks, Maitland Talks, T-O-K-S, but I'm, I'm tiptoeing still into that world. But yeah, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I, they took off a video where I was just like dancing around and I'm like, this wasn't, I wasn't doing anything sexual in this video. Like I was just like, maybe my boobs were bouncy, but I naturally have bouncy boobs. So as <laughs> so most of us I can't do. help this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so I don't know. And they were like sexual content, but uh, anyway, so, but I'm still forging in through the world.
But and then on my OnlyFans is Maitland Ward too, so you can get all of the. If you want me to give you a special custom video, you can. <laughs> you will love it there. <laughs> and there's all sorts of fun. I do live shows and stuff. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much to Maitland for joining us for this episode. It was incredibly fascinating for me. And one of the questions I have asked a lot is, can porn be feminist? Is porn feminist? And in what ways, if we choose to engage with pornography, can we do so in an ethical way? And like we said in the interview, one of the easiest ways to do that is to pay. Pay for your pornography. Pay for the content that you consume. That way you know that the companies you're choosing to support have gone through those rigorous background checks, those rigorous consent checks. And it's just a reminder too that a lot of the shit out there is unfortunately extremely misogynistic and extremely degrading to women. And if we are going to consume pornography, there is content out there that we can do in a more ethical, supporting to women kind of way. You can find out more about Maitland by Googling her. We got all sorts of resources to her in our show notes. You can also get her book Rated X wherever you get your books. I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. This is, again, both pun intended and not pun intended, a spicier episode than we've done previous. But in talks about feminism, we really think it's crucial to the conversation to talk about our sexual wellness, whatever that looks like. So please feel free to give us your thoughts and maybe you have more questions and maybe you have different things that you want us to cover, but I would just love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here, Financial Feminists. We appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, associate producer, Tamisha Grant, Marketing and Administration by Karina Patel, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, Amanda LaFew, Masha Bakhmikieva, Kaylin Sprinkle, Samaya Molokurio, and Harvey Carlson. Research by Ariel Johnson, audio engineering by Alyssa Medcalf, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com.